who has to keep the law? Do Christians have to keep the law? Do non-Christians have to keep the law? And if they do, what law are they bound to keep? Old Testament law, moral law, the command, the Ten Commandments, the Sermon on the Mount. What is it? Well, tonight on Sinners and Saints, we're talking about the law of God. Where is it found and who has to keep it? So stay tuned with us tonight on Sinners and Saints. In an age of moral bankruptcy, political sleaze, theological confusion, and aimless religion in a mindless church, we're addressing the need for a Bible-based, intellectually rigorous, 21st century Christian faith. This is Sinners and Saints. Theology with an Edge. Welcome tonight to Sinners and Saints. We're continuing on our series on the law. And joining us for our discussion, as usual, is Reverend Adam Kalushin from Ontario United Reformed Church, Reverend Moses Genbazian from Pasadena URC, and I'm Reverend John Sautel, church planter at large. And like I said last time, we're starting in on a whole new series on the law. And last show, we made a whole uh, series of distinctions on the law the fundamental contrast between law and gospel, the various divisions within the law of God itself. You have, uh, you have moral law, ceremonial law, judicial law. We, we talked through a number of distinctions that are going to help you learn how to think about the law and then how to apply it. But tonight, before we get into some of these other uh, distinctions of law that we need to make, I want to begin by asking the question, and that is, what is the function of the law? In our confessional system, we have what's called guilt, grace, and gratitude. And so the law will show us our guilt. And once we have been justified by grace, it'll show us how we are to show forth our gratitude to God. And so it does not serve as a means of justifying or condemning, but rather as a guide as to how those who have been redeemed are to glorify God. Right. But I want to back up a step, most because I think a lot of people out there basically think of the Christian religion and they think of the law of God and they say... I don't want you guys to complicate things. It's very simple. God tells us what he wants us to do, and we do that we the best that we can to obey it, and, and that's all that he wants. And hopefully at the end of the day, we've shown ourselves to be measuring up to what he wants us to do. But the first way the law should be viewed, the way that we understand the law, is that it convicts us of our sins. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 20 says, By the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the first thing you need to think about when you identify the commands either through the scripture or whatever God uh, has put on your heart as a creature made in his image of things that he wants you to do is not to say, oh, well, if I just do the best that I can, then I guess he'll accept me. The point is you're supposed to see all of the commands and they're supposed to show you that you have not lived up to them like you should have. I mean, think of the basic summary in the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some people say, look, if I just do that, then I'll be all right. God will accept me. But when you hear that command, what you're supposed to realize, first of all, is that you have not loved the Lord your God. I don't care how holy you are. You have not loved the Lord your God and you have not loved your neighbor as yourself. And therefore, if you are left in your own works, God will condemn you. Okay, I want to challenge that, though. 
uh, a familiar passage in Scripture to most people, and that is the passage of the rich, wrong, the rich young ruler. Remember, he comes up to Jesus and uh, tells him how much he adores him, loves his teaching, so forth and so on, and then Christ questions a little bit and uh, says, what does he have to do to be saved? And he's the, to keep the commandments. And uh, basically his response to Jesus is, I kept them all. And so Jesus gives him a new commandment. Sell all your possessions and give what you have to the poor. Now, is Jesus there? It seems that Jesus is saying, yeah, it's possible to keep these commandments. Yeah, it seems like Jesus is basically saying, yeah, okay, pretty much you have kept everything else. Just let me add one more to it. Right. Now, here's the point. Jesus wants you to wake up. And for anybody who's thinking like the rich young ruler that he supposedly kept all of these commandments, Jesus is pointing out one that even a self-righteous, arrogant, rich young ruler who thinks that he's kept all the other commandments, he gives him another commandment to show him that there is one that even in his own mind, he can't convince himself he's that good. And the point is to show the guy that he is not a law keeper. I, Jesus is preaching the law to this guy. He's saying to him, I'll show you that where your heart really is, one of disobedience, you will not, you love your money, basically, and you will not give up your money for my sake. I don't even believe that Christ is giving a new commandment to him because that would be changing the rules. He's saying, I've kept all the commandments, and Christ is basically declaring, no, you haven't. I will give you an application of those laws that are already present and show how you have failed. You have relied upon your riches to be able to accomplish this law rather than being one who is engaged in the ordinary commerce of life. And you have now, I'm now calling you out. I'm making you understand that you have actually failed in all these things. You know, it is a true statement. If you keep the commandments, you will live. The problem is nobody keeps the commandments. If you could, if you were able in your sinful nature somehow to be perfectly obedient to the commands of God, he would save you. But Jesus yeah, but is telling him, I want to show you no, but wait you do second. not do it. Uh, from a common sense perspective, people look at this law and these Ten Commandments, and overall they look pretty easy to keep. Until you actually interpret it the way Scripture does, where Jesus himself says it's not merely a, you know, abstaining from adultery. In your heart, you are never to lust. And then by the time you get to the author of Hebrews, he tells us, honor the marriage bed. So rather than simply abstaining from adultery, you actually have to be one who desires that God be glorified in the marriage bed of all. The person says, well, the commandments say don't murder, and I haven't killed anybody. Or and Jesus I didn't says, oh, you know Snickers what? candy bars from the local grocery store, no right. cigarettes, tobacco, or anything like and that. And you know what Jesus says to that? He says, yes, you have murdered, because I know you, and in your thoughts and in your words, and maybe even in your actions. You have not loved your neighbor perfectly. You have gossiped. You have had bad, unjust anger thoughts against others, vengeful thoughts when you shouldn't be vengeful, and that constitutes murder. The commandments are there to show you that you are sinful and that you have not been able to keep them in order to live. Okay, so the first use of the law, one of the first functions of the law, is to show you your sin. When we come back after the break, we're going to continue talking through the application of the law to our life by surveying some of its functions. So stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. There is no greater joy in the Christian's life than to worship God according to his word, and there is nowhere better in the San Gabriel Valley to do this than at the Pasadena United Reformed Church. So come join us this Sunday at 9 a.m. and at 6 p.m. at 226 West Colorado Boulevard in Arcadia. You can call us at 866-99-UNITED or look us up on the web at sinnersaint.org. This is Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. Are you looking for a church that values the Word of God and the rediscovery of its riches in the Protestant Reformation? 
Hi, I'm Pastor Adam Kalusti, and I want to invite you to join us at the Ontario United Reformed Church. We worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. and 5.30 p.m. Take the Euclid Avenue exit off the 60 freeway, go north one block to Philadelphia Street, turn right, and you'll see us. That's the Ontario United Reformed Church, 866-99-UNITED. Okay, thank you again for joining us tonight on Sinners and Saints. We're glad that you're uh, listening in on us. By the way, if you want to get in contact with us, uh, feel free to call us at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. And we'd love to sit down and talk with you about some of these things. Uh, and so we're talking about the law. We know this is a big topic full of complications, and, and we know that many of you have uh, a lot of questions about how to think of the law, how it applies. Uh, but one thing we are doing is we're breaking down how to look at the law using classical reform distinctions. And one of the new distinctions that we've uh, sort of introduced in this particular broadcast tonight is the functions of the law. We said the first function of the law is that the law shows us our sin. What are some of the other functions of the law as the Reformed understand it? Well, again... It depends how we're using the word law, but if you want to think of the Old Covenant law system, I mean, the commands in the law clearly show us that we have not lived up to the holy character of God. But in the second place, it also displays, really, the holiness of God that is required to save us. I mean, the whole Old Covenant law system was designed to prepare the way in history for Jesus, the one who was coming who would obey the law because he was holy for us and who would sacrifice himself because we are a bunch of lawbreakers. So the law, Old Covenant law system in that way, testifies to the gospel, what Jesus has done to save us because we're lawbreakers. As Adam was saying is that you are seeing in this your sin because you are seeing the holiness of God displayed and Jesus himself is the only one who has ever fulfilled that law. But there's a second use and even when we are not able to keep it, it does show us what sin is in order that the civil magistrate will have some guidelines for restraining sin. So another use of the law classically in Reformed theology is what we call the second use, and that is to suppress sin in the civil realm. Okay, Moses, but we want to be very clear on this. What laws does that civil magistrate utilize from the Word of God then to, to help guide this restraint of sin? Because we don't want to go back and apply these no, Old Testament not, laws wholesale. No, not we? at all, because then you might bring in the sacrificial system and all these other things. No, it is basically still relying on the what's called the general equity of the judicial law, where it speaks of making sure that people have the right of their own private property, the fact that they are responsible and accountable for their actions, that they are not to steal, not to murder, not to destroy the marriage bed, which is the foundation of society. Those things are what we are referring to, and not as a group called the Theonomists would say that every part of the law is to be applied to us today. Yeah, I think, Moses, we'd be remiss not to bring up this perversion of uh, application of Old Covenant law system called, you know, name, nicknamed Theonomy, and the basic the premise which, of which, Theonomy. Which, by the way, comes very often out of Reformed camps, and so this is why we're bringing this up. We don't we want to distinguish ourselves from this camp of people who call themselves Reformed. Right. This, uh, this teaching of Theonomy, the basic premise is that all of the civil commandments that were given to Israel are normative for all the magistrates and all the states today, that they must follow them in order to you know, repress or suppress unrighteousness in the world. Yeah, the basic hermeneutic that the theon, the so-called theonomists use is they say that the Old Testament law in exhaustive detail is binding upon all people and all nations today unless 
the New Testament specifically repeals one of the commandments from the Old Testament. And the problem with that is, is basically it's a very simple hermeneutic. It's a very simple way to read the Scripture, but it makes a mess out of the Old Testament. You cannot simply sit down with the Old Testament Bible and draw a one-to-one correspondence between what God was saying and commanding to Israel then and now. That is a different covenantal context. That is a covenant made between God and the nation of Israel then. And it only applies to Israel then. Now, let me, let me, we're not just saying that, but let me prove that to you from the Scripture. You have over and over again in Deuteronomy 17, Deuteronomy 19, Deuteronomy 22 and 24, and throughout other books of the Old Covenant uh, law system, talking about the penalty for certain violations of civil laws in the Old Covenant. And that violation, many times, results in death. The state is to put people to death who do not follow the laws that God gave to Old Covenant Israel in Israel. Now, what you should be asking is, how does Paul in the New Testament, when he reads those sanctions that God imposed in that state system of Israel, how does Paul apply it today in the church? Does he say, you as Christians go out and write a letter to President Bush to enact these laws in the way that it was in Israel? No, he says... I am going to apply those in the context of church discipline. 1 Corinthians 5, you have a guy who's sleeping with a stepmother, basically. And Paul says, you're boasting about it, you will not repent from it, and therefore, church, put this man out of the church. That doesn't mean stone him to death. What that means is you excommunicate him, you pronounce him as one who is outside, and he quotes Deuteronomy 17, 7, and 19, and 24 in verse uh, 1 Corinthians 5.13, he says, Those who are outside God judges, therefore, put away from yourselves that wicked person. You see, he applies that civil sanction in the Old Testament to the church's form of excommunication. It's not a civil law for today. Even in Acts 15, when the council meets in Jerusalem about how Gentiles are to be incorporated in the church, it makes it very clear that the majority of Jewish law does not apply to them, but only that which we later call moral law. And so... The only restriction given them is don't do things to offend the Jews' sensibilities, but you do not have to adopt their laws. It shows very clearly in the New Testament we are not expected to keep the law in exhaustive detail from the Old Testament because that refers to a particular covenant. Jesus said, Matthew five seventeen. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the smallest stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Well, I'll tell you something. Jesus accomplished it. Jesus fulfilled the law. Jesus did everything that was prescribed there, and by obeying it to its uttermost, Jesus brought it to fulfillment. Therefore, that law now is no longer binding on the church in its particular aspects and dimensions, no longer binding on the church or or, or all people in general, because Jesus brought it to pass, put an end to it, and now has instituted the new covenant. We come back after the break. We're going to talk about one more aspect of the function of the law. Stay tuned with us on Sinners and Saints. Americans are known for their independence and self-reliance. We take little stock in other people's opinions. Americans want to examine and form our own conclusions about everything, and if something isn't to our liking, we'll fix it. These characteristics have served us well in casting off monarchies and taming the wild frontier. But are they really the best qualities for building Christ's church? 
At Grace Evangelical Church, we think one thing our culture doesn't need to reinvent are the tried and tested truths of Orthodox Christianity. We take delight in the faith of our fathers, in the biblical truths captured by the three forms of unity. We believe the truths of the Reformation gospel of justification by faith alone are the only solution for the multitude of problems that face America today. We invite you to come worship with us at Grace Evangelical Church. For more information, you may contact us at area code 310-782-7019. That's 310-782-7019. Thanks for joining us again on Sinners and Saints tonight. If you want to get in contact with us, call us at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866-99-UNITED. We're talking about the law tonight on Sinners and Saints. We've talked about two very important functions of the law. One is that the law exposes our sin and drives us to Christ. Another function is that the law can be used for a guide in civil matters so long as it's used properly and appropriately. We talked about that distinction here in in the second segment of our show. Finally, we're going to get down to the third function of the law, which is that the law is a guide. It shows us how to live for the Lord in thankfulness for our redemption. So let's begin here to talk about uh, this issue by going to the to the Ten Commandments, which are usually used as the expression of the uh, the continuing moral will of God for all people today. What do Reformed Christians believe about the Ten Commandments in terms of their binding nature on all people? Well, the Ten Commandments, as being part of the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Law given at Sinai, are no longer binding. In other words, they are not the law code handed to us that we are to obey. But the Ten Commandments are a wonderful summary of the moral law, which is still binding upon us because it reflects God's character and we are made in His image. And so we use it as a summary which we expand to understand what God has told us we are to do. Now, a lot of people, Moses, are going to say, well, that sounds just like... Uh, dispensationalism. They teach that the commandments were given specifically to Israel. The Ten Commandments were, and they're no longer binding. Are you saying that that we're just borrowing the dispensationalism line here in their categories, or do we believe in something different? Okay, we believe in something different, and the, the clearest way to understand it is to think of the two errors that are in the church. The first error is to read the Ten Commandments as a summary, a heightened summary of the whole Old Covenant law system and apply that and everything else in that law immediately, directly to all of us as Christians and the state and the society today. The other error is to say that because it's an Old Covenant system that has passed away and therefore is no longer binding, that the Old Covenant doesn't have anything to say to us about how we ought to regulate our lives according to the Scripture. But we believe as Reformed people that when we look into the Old Covenant law system, we still use the testimonies taken out of that law to regulate our life in all honorableness to the glory of God according to his will because it does reflect something of his eternal moral character. You can't just discard the Ten Commandments and the Old Covenant law as if it has nothing to say to us today. Well, I'll tell you exactly how a Christian's going to do that. They're going to do it just exactly how they did in Paul's day. And Paul had to address that in Romans 6.14 where it says, uh, where Paul, the Apostle Paul says, for sin shall not be your master, because you're not under law, but under grace. And see right there, right from the mouth of the Apostle Paul, you're not under law, Christian, at all. Well, and in one sense, that's true, the sense that Paul's saying it. We are not under the condemning power of the law, because Christ has come obedient to that law, 
and has delivered us from our own works and our own inability to keep it and the punishment that we have earned in ourselves. And instead, he has earned for us the righteousness of God, having shed his blood for our sins. But it's interesting that the same author, the Apostle Paul, by the time you get to chapter 13, and Moses read this, maybe it was last week, has no problem quoting some of the commandments found in the Old Testament, Romans 13, 9, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, which interestingly enough was also given in the Old Covenant law system. And what Paul's saying is that we take the testimonies out of that law to regulate our life. That's moral. It doesn't matter that it was given in that context. We still follow those moral commands today. What we're saying here, just to be very clear about this, is that the Ten Commandments in their original exact expression in which they were given to Israel, in that original exact expression, are no longer binding on Christians today because they were given as a covenant to national Israel. Deuteronomy 4.13 says, He declared to you His covenant, which He charged you to observe. That is the Ten Commandments. You see the identification between covenant and commandments. That's a specific covenantal arrangement between God and Israel. But that don't make the illogical leap from that to the next position to say, well, there's no longer any law for us. No, those are expressions of the moral will and character of God. To be sure, they're adjusted under the new covenant to, to take away and extract some of the ceremonial dimensions of them or the, the, the dimensions of them that are not appropriate to new covenant realities. However, they still summarily comprehend the law of God for us. And so here's where the million-dollar question is crying out to be asked from you who are listening. You guys are saying that it's given as an Old Covenant law system, the Ten Commandments are part of it, and it's no longer binding, and yet we are to regulate our lives according to the testimonies taken out of that law. When I look at the Ten Commandments, Moses, John, how do I determine what is moral and bi- moral and binding in the sense that it ought to regulate my life, and what is just part of the Old Covenant law system? That is where people need help. They need to know, when I read the Old Covenant law, what testimonies do I take out of it? How do I take testimonies out of that law to regulate my life today and not be a legalist and go back to Israel? I would say the best way to do it is to get a copy of the three forms of unity that we have. And in the Heidelberg Catechism, it explains how to best understand this as a believer and how it is to apply, using these as the heads or the topical titles and then explaining from the remainder of scripture what it means to live a God-honoring life where you love God and your neighbor. Another way that you can do this too is that you can use the the guidance of the New Testament. Go read the, the Sermon on the Mount. Go read uh, the, the law which is appended to most of Paul's letters where he goes through a whole list of do this and don't do that. Those are excellent guides for you to understand the applicability of the law to you in very specific, concrete situations as a New Covenant Christian. And we're going to walk you through how to do this. I know that the coming weeks we're going to go through a series on the Ten Commandments. And what we're going to be careful to do is distinguish, say, the ceremonial, civil aspects of the Old Covenant Ten Commandments and those things which have passed away and show you how they are binding, how the apostles show us how we must follow them and regulate our lives according to them. Thanks for joining us tonight on Sitters and Saints and this uh, very important discussion on the law. By the way, we want to remind you, if you want to support this broadcast, which we remind you is a listener-supported broadcast, check us out at sinnersaint.org. That's sinnersaint.org. Or you can always call us at 866-99-UNITED. That's 866 866- 
99 United. Thanks again for joining us on Sinners and Saints. Join us next week as we tackle more topics with the truth of God's Word on Sinners and Saints, Theology with an Edge. For more information, call 866-99-UNITED or log on to the web at urcsocal.org. That's 866-99-UNITED.